philosophy is. I guess it is teaches you different ways of thinking rather than it's not about amassing knowledge. It's more kind of training your mind to be able to shift world's perspective. So when we're re- when you're reading Han, for example, um, and you're looking at, lo- at the world through and through the transcendental aesthetic, not to drop philosophy jargon, sorry, but you look at it one way and then you read someone else and suddenly the world has completely changed. And I think as a copywriter, the most powerful thing you can do is to get into other people's head and adopt their worldview. Philosophy trained me to do that. And obviously I can form a really good argument.
people who are in that abuse cycle because bullying is a form of abuse but you'll hear people go oh it's just a rite of passage it's a school kid banter this that and the other and there's that saying sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never hurt me and I think if you can take that attitude that's wonderful but in our formative years it's just not true words actually can be incredibly powerful and it's interesting for you as a copywriter you're perhaps a person that would have that in terms of your identity to becoming happier and more confident I would say music I had a friend when I was about 15 who actually really reminds me of you <laughs> she had lovely amazing hair as well she was very quirky but she she was just brilliant and she saw me for me and we used to play music together and we I'd go around a house and we'd listen to records we'd go to jam nights and having just that new world opened up for me was huge because then I could rebuild myself again and under the love of this person who's just one of those shining lights and through that then I was eventually I made new friends through music I eventually found a whole new friendship group that I really loved and then even though the trauma was there it did slowly enter adult life wonderful friendships can just make such a difference to us can't they Absolutely. And is this person still in your life? Yeah, she is. I don't see her as much as I'd like to because adult life, we're all living all over the place. But I definitely have a special place in my heart for her and I'm truly grateful. Wonderful. It's interesting, isn't it? How I think part of it is that we often tend to see each other through other people's eyes. And so if we change who the people are around us to be people like the shining light who will see the real us, then that then can be reflected back onto us and we can take that on board. The most powerful thing of all is to not care what other people think and actually value our own opinions much more than what other people do. And I know for me personally, it took quite a lot of work to get to that place having been a people please and someone who had very low self-esteem to being the person who's well yeah I know there's lots of people who might think I'm a complete idiot who won't like my style or what I do or my approach or even positivity <laughs> I've had it's really funny actually I had I spoke with somebody recently who is also a very positive person. And they said, oh, some of my friends, they joke that I must be a serial killer. And I was like, oh my God, I've had people say that to me too. So I used to be in this filmmaking community 
And there were some people there and they used to say, oh, sure, my husband, Steve, uh, we weren't married at the time, but um, they used to say, oh, sure, you and Steve are actually secret serial killers. Nobody can be that happy and positive. They just didn't trust it, which I thought was really sad. It's funny. We could joke about it. Yet, actually, the reality is that the people who say something, say things like that at some level, they don't believe it's possible to be happy and confident all of these things they always say so much more about the people saying the things than they do about us yeah i think that's very true the words people say are more a reflection on them really than they are on us i think that is an important lesson to learn which it's just obviously when you're a teenager it's so hard because as you said the people you look your sense of self reflected back at you through other people's eyes. But yeah, no, I think that's interesting. And I have, I guess I've experienced that too during times when I have been really positive. So when you left school, what happened? I When I left school, the first thing I did was I started freelancing. I'd already been doing a bit at school. So I think when I was about 16, I Googled how to make money online and I had my mind blown. I was very savvy i remember i sold my a-level note as an ebook on pinter because i thought i've done the work i might as well try and get a few quid from it so i worked for a couple of months and then i went traveling so i backpacked europe and then i did it on a massive shoestring budget so i actually had enough to fly to america where i volunteered in san francisco hitchhiked down highway one to la and san diego and then spent some time in Canada. So that was an amazing trip. That also, I think, did wonders for my sense of self. And after that, I was just like, you know what, life's good. I've got this. And then I went to uni. <laughs> so, so really, that was like a gap year? Yeah, they ended up a gap year. Once I graduated, I did more traveling. And that's really, for freelancing for me was all about being location independent and it wasn't until after a few years of traveling and, and that I was like, do you know what? It can be more than that. That It can be financial freedom. It can be time freedom. And that's what I've been building the last few years. Fantastic. And what did you study? Um, I did philosophy and English. English, unfortunately, just killed my love of reading <laughs> more than anything. I went in loving books and I think just studying it, it. Yeah, it just sucked the joy out of it. Philosophy, I absolutely loved and I do makes me a better copywriter. Tell me more about that. Love it. Love it. I think that's a very interesting perspective. And I think in all aspects of marketing, we have got to be able to get into our ideal clients' heads for sure. So you had early training, I thought. Yeah, 100%. Wonderful. So, So you started 
freelancing really at 16. So that's the youngest that I've heard. But I guess these days, as you said, you Googled how to make money online and that wasn't around when I was a teenager. It's amazing how the world has changed, how technology has changed the world for us. So the idea of being location independent was never a thing before the internet. So now it is. You're now shifting from being a freelancer to being a CEO. Is location independence still as important to you? Or is it more the financial freedom? Or what's the real goal? I'd say 100%. Freedom for me is location freedom, financial freedom, time freedom. So as I said, location freedom was the first one I chased after and got. I remember doing articles for about $6. (laughs) So like I was getting paid pennies, but I was living in Bali and Vietnam, traveling around. So it was fine. And that was enough. And then lockdown happened. So I, I was renting in England again, obviously expensive. And I thought to myself, do you know what? Actually, I want a bit of money now. I would like to be able to not worry about rent. Finding like nice things. I think something happens in your mid-20s where you, you feel a bit like, like homeville thing. I wanted to buy myself a nice sofa and all the stuff that I used to think was ridiculous. So then I started wanting financial freedom and I took a course by Copy Hackers. And very quickly, I was able to scale to 10,000 a month, which was when I was 24, 25. So this was huge. Um, and then I kept, continued that. And then I got really burnt out and I, my anxiety came back. I was having panic attacks. My income dropped and I realized I didn't have that third piece. I had location freedom. I had financial freedom, but I didn't have time freedom. And Actually, it's only been in the last two months that I feel like I've had that. So since we last spoke, I landed basically my two dream clients. So things have changed a lot. But I'm so working now with Amy Porterfield, who is one of my absolute favorite entrepreneurs. I think she's fantastic. And I'm working for Coffee Hackers, which is a big deal because they're the people that trained me. So now I'm in a position where I do have, I suppose I don't 100% have time freedom. I think it's going to continue to be a work in progress, but I've got the joy and I've got the financial freedom. So I'm happy now. What I want to do is scale that because it's like working for Amy Porterfield. That's been a dream of mine for a few years. And now I'm okay. What do I do now? I've got my dream clients that I'm making money. What next? Is it just a case of being like, I want to double my profits? To me, that's not very meaningful. So I'm looking to surround myself with people now that can show me what this next level is all about. Because I can't, I don't know. I haven't got there. I can't see it. I haven't been there. It's my goal to now be the next Amy Porterfield. Am I supposed to become like the clients that I've been working for? Is it something else? So I'm excited to see where my business will go next. And I'm very open to ideas on how, what you think it could be, whether it is starting an agency, contracting, hiring more help, or whether it's something completely different. Let's drill down a bit here because it, the questions have gone way <laughs> really broad, <laughs> which is great. Okay, us creative people, we think big picture all the time, but it's very hard to answer a big picture question without breaking it down first. So, what is the impact that you want to make on the world, Abby? Well, since you've asked, so I do have a dream of making APD content um, 
a an agency but with training built in so when I left school and I started freelancing one of I was yes it was because I wanted location independence I was very excited to travel but also a part of that was my anxiety so I really the idea of actually having to go in every day was really overwhelming to me because I know I sometimes I just need to take six weeks off or I need to adjust my medication and things like that. Freelancing really saved. When I think about where I am now and I think about where it was when I first got diagnosed with anxiety and I thought my life was over, it's amazing to me and I'm so grateful for it. And I love to give that to other people. I'd love to partner with a couple of universities or schools young people with anxiety and actually train them up and employ them within my agency as copywriters when you i just want to go back to something that you said about so there's times when like if the anxiety kicks in you might need to adjust your medication or take six weeks off so currently I'm curious how you're managing that when you're working with clients the likes of Amy Porterfield and copy hackers yeah, it's tough. They basically strip down to the absolute necessary. So as a freelancer CEO, like I only have, I do 20 hours a week client work. I won't book myself up more than that because I need time to generate leads, to create contracts, all that other stuff, guest posting, marketing, etc. So 20 hours a week, I'll see if I can strip that down to less. Because I've been doing this a while, a while in terms of my life, and because I, I've really specialized and niche, I, there is, I can't do it, even when I'm really anxious. I wouldn't be able to if I didn't have that. A few years ago, I couldn't, if I'm ill, if I'm panicky, I can't work. But now I think it's embedded enough in me. I know what I'm doing. I'm confident enough that I can manage to do the two hours work I need to and then take the rest of the day off. But obviously it's not ideal and over summer, I don't know if I said, but I had a, a real mental health crisis and I had to cancel a lot of acts. So I, it really got me thinking, what can I put in place that next time this happens? Because it will, living with a mental health issue, it happens and it's fine. You can still be wildly successful, but I need something in place um, so that if it, like when it next happens, I'm not going to lose as much because there was quite a drop in income as a result of that because i do have kind of money saved away for when it happened but i want more i don't just want to fall back on my my emergency funds i want to have people i can count on to do to help me so if you were to hire a team of people who also have anxiety and or some Mm. other kind of mental health issues then you're going to have a number of people who potentially might need to drop the ball at times. Yeah. So I would want a mix. Yeah, I need, it's high risk. I have considered this. So I want to build up. I've had all ideas of how to do it, but I want to, I want to build something like whether it's like a blog or a side business or something that it's okay if people drop the ball because one thing that was great for me with freelancing at the start when it was really low pressure and low paying um, was that if I if I did drop the ball it was okay it was low impact I wouldn't create something that 
it's okay for them to drop the ball. That doesn't mean they're going to get fired because they need a boss that gives them lots of chances. So APT content, like, I wouldn't want them, I wouldn't necessarily be relying on people for high-pressure projects. I would create a whole a mix of different things. That's, and I would want some people as well that I can just truly really count on through thick and thin. But yeah, it's it's a very much an idea in progress. I appreciate there's going to be, it's going to take a lot of thinking to get it right. But I'm, it's, you asked me what impact I wanted to make. Mm. Like, that is it. Absolutely. I wanted to kind of you to take a step back from this because, so it sounds like the impact you want to make is to help people who have anxiety. Yeah. And one way of doing that is to hire them. To train them, give them a chance. To train them. So it would be, so as an example, the university I was at, they had an internship program where they collaborate with companies and the university would pay the intern to, to do their volunteer work for the company. So... I'd love to do something like that because then I'm not having to pay. And that sounds awful. I'm happy to pay them, but, but it's less risk. It's like um, when they're young people. And then I can train and give them opportunities and they can get absolutely really great on their CV. So it gives them the confidence, show them what's possible. As you said, it's the digital world is constantly changing. Maybe they already know that being a digital entrepreneur is an option. I know I didn't. I know you didn't. But if someone had told me when I was young and anxious and that, I never needed to get a job. I never, like a, a, a regular job that I could do this. That would have been a massive release. So I want to mm. give that to, to someone else. Okay. Yep. So it sounds to me like what you want is a business model that's financially viable, but that also offers opportunities and the knowledge that it's that freedom isn't it that they don't have to be they don't have to be tied to a boss they can make their own way in the world but the world of freelancing i've been working with freelancers and creative business owners for a good number of years now and it's more and more challenging because they're faced with people in the developing who have very low cost of living anyone who has a smartphone (laughs) they typically feel they can be a photographer they can edit videos they can write and post stuff on social media and things so the the perceived value of a lot of creative services has dropped and so there's it's not just about the skills that they need to actually do the freelance work. They need to be able to get the freelance work at an appropriate amount of money, don't they? Yeah, I would say copywriting is different from the jobs you described, just in the sense that you can change a headline and unlock 200 grand for your client. Like, it's copywriting has such a direct impact on ROI. So I I don't think it's hard to convince clients the value of a copyright because it just is lucrative. That's why copywriters charge what they do. Um, for me, at the start, I was very focused on getting clients. And then actually when I focused on being the best, and I have an imposter syndrome is a thing. I'm not arguing that. But 
sometimes I think when people have imposter syndrome, I mean, for me, it was actually, maybe it's because I'm not as good as, maybe I do just need to level up. And I did, I poured hours and hours into mastering the craft. I did the hard work and to me now I'm comfortable commanding the rates I do and finding work isn't a problem. I get the referrals and I, that is the experience for a lot of copywriters that are good at what they do. So yeah, I would say, yeah, getting the clients is one thing, but also, and I, it is particularly for the copywriting world. Yeah. Just show your clients so you can make some money because that's what they care about. Yes. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the time there definitely is an aspect of when I'm working with those clients, it is about helping them to to show their clients, their potential clients, how they can help them. That's the case with all kinds of businesses. But yes, with creative services, it often is about helping them to attract and convert more of clients for their customers as well. I think one of the things that you touched on there, you can change your headline and double, triple, 10 times the results that a client is getting. There's a lot of people who learn how to create content, but they don't know how to actually drive sales. Like I've talked to a lot of copywriters because I sometimes might need that help. My clients are looking for recommendations. I would say only one in 10, if that, of the copywriters I speak to they actually know how to drive sales through copy. So if you're training these young people in how to do that, then that is super valuable. So I think saying that, what I'm getting to with this is that you training people in how to do this, because it's so valuable, there has to be a financial model that will work for you to be able to do that. Yeah, I completely agree. Just to touch on what you're saying about sales copywriting. I, I think I, when I started out, I studied direct response copywriting. I read the sales letter, the Dan Kennedy, Russell Brunson, all that, the usual suspects. Now I, what I think is interesting is that type of copy is dying. It's not working like it used to. People following those templates, the conversion rates are dropping. The webinars aren't bringing in the sales that they used. People have wised up and they don't like being sold to. If you write sales and it's salesy, won't convert as well because the whole idea, the whole internet has moved towards conversation. It's that's the whole idea of social media is to create this meaningful conversations with each other. People don't like to be sold to. They can smell a pitch and why not? So what I do when the conversion copywriting is. Basically rooted in understanding people and it's research. I got into copywriting initially because I like to write and I still, I love to write, but 90% of what I do is actually research. So it's about interviewing customers, knowing what to say, but also knowing how to listen, knowing when to be silent, knowing how to dig, dig deeper and find out the problems that are really on people's mind, doing surveys, being able to go through Facebook groups and find voice of customers, sticky messages, using all that to actually craft copy and copy that will convert. And that's what I want to teach. I want to teach this research-based, empathy-focused copywriting because it feels good. It feels good to write copy like that, write copy that isn't just bitchy, salesy, salesy. It's 
because when you write copy like that, you get to really understand what someone's going through and provide a way out for them, provide an opportunity. You make the conversion natural. It's not pushed. You're empowering them to take action to say, do you know what? This course costs 5,000 pounds. It's a lot, but I believe that if I complete it, if I implement, I will get the results and I deserve that. And sometimes it takes a copywriter to convince them of that. And I want to give that gift to people because I know I would have been so excited if someone had told me that 10 years ago. And I know that there are lots of young girls like me now that need to hear that and don't know copywriting exists. And that kind of copywriting would just light them up. And as you say, yes, it's profitable because that kind of copy is making money for people. So it can make my business money. I can make them money. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I think I, I rambled on a bit there. I'm quite passionate <laughs> about copying if you can't tell. Never apologize for passion. It's wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. Something really struck me there when you said lots of young girls don't know copywriting exists. So my background is in marketing. And then when I set up uh, originally as a life coach, I like the names you're mentioning. I know all those names. I subscribed to newsletters. I did a lot. And, uh, but it, it was definitely very male focused. And I'm sure you've heard the term bro marketing. And actively positioning myself against it. Exactly. And that's that bro marketing is it's that pushy, not natural attempt at conversion. And as you say, in general, the audiences that people are marketing to these days, they are way more sophisticated than they ever have been. So, yeah, as you say, they can smell a pitch in my law. They get turned off by that. They are much more concerned with values and meaning and aligning themselves with brands that they resonate with. Do you feel that copywriting is still quite a male-dominated industry? It might be, but I'm lucky because I have surrounded myself with amazing copywriters and 90% of them are women. I was mentioned by Joanna Weeb and the copywriters I engage with in a cartoon like Tarzan K and Brittany McBean, they're all also women. So even if it is male-dominated, I don't feel it. And I think I guess that's the beautiful thing about the internet is you can find your community and you can be in that echo chamber. I know that's <laughs> I know that's usually used as a criticism to be in an echo chamber, but actually sometimes it's refreshing because by being in that, by being in that community, you can thrive. And these women are getting amazing results. They're making millions of dollars just for their male clients. So yeah. <laughs> Love it. And what you said about creating an echo chamber, I know that I've done that. I hear people moaning about their feeds on social media. And I'm just like, well, just turn off the people who you don't want to be hearing from. Turn off the ads you don't want to see. If I go on Facebook, I, pretty much half of what I see is personal development and the other half is sewing, which is my hobby. <laughs> and if, that's all I'm interested in. We have so much more control over our environment than I think people know. So I love that you have done that. Congratulations, because I do think that marketing in general and copywriting is it is quite male dominated. But as you say, you can create your own corner of the Internet, of the universe, 
and surround yourself with people who you can learn from, aspire to be like, work with, etc. And create the world that you want to have, create the environment that you want to be a part of. I think it's up to us to till our own soil, to to plant the seeds that we want to be growing. And part of that is definitely the people we surround ourselves with, because this is going back to what we said earlier about what people reflect to us about ourselves. But then it's also about who we're learning from. In the conversations about philosophy, you were talking about being able to switch worldviews. Some of the things that really influence who we're being in the world and therefore our experience of it are our own identity and our worldview. So if we live in a world, when I say live, I'm talking about in our heads, <laughs> when we live in a world where people can't be trusted or where people are negative, where people moan, where, oh, nothing ever changes, life's always the same, life's hard, then, you know, that's going to be perpetuated. So I think people talk about fixed mindset and growth mindset. I think there's a lot more than those two things. I think within that growth mindset where we are curious, where we're open, where the possibility of change exists. For us to be able to move forward and to allow for our worldviews to change as we grow, as our businesses grow. And I say time and time again, if you want to have a bigger business, then, you know, how you view yourself and the world, there has to be a transformation take place. So there's been a transformation for you as that 16 year old, those first few years of your freelancing where you just did anything to make money and it was a few dollars and it didn't matter and that was all you needed to now you're like, no, I'm a serious business owner and you can be a serious business owner and have lots of fun. In fact, I think the more seriously you take your business, the more fun you can have if you do it in the right way. Yeah. So I don't want you to think when I say serious, that you have to be serious and not have any fun. No, not at all. The best most successful business owners are the ones who do have what you talked about in terms of financial freedom time freedom and location freedom if that's important to you but the first two i think ought to be important to every business owner and the discussion only gets better in part two of this interview where myself and Abby get into well, what impact might her going public for the first time about her anxiety have on her business. We talk about the connection between mindset and flow and about how Abby can make a bigger impact in her business. Join us in the next episode. Welcome to the She Leads Business Show, where I shine the spotlight on female owners of growing small and medium-sized businesses. You're in the right place if you want to ditch the stress and firefighting, stop working too many hours, despite having team members, and never compete on price again. I'm Una Doyle, founder of creativeflow.tv. I'm a speaker, business strategist, and impact coach. 
Business owners hire me to help them to build a business they could sell tomorrow, but they probably don't want to because it's highly profitable. It's fun to run because they and their team are in creative flow and they get to make a bigger impact on the world. In every episode, myself and my guests share the strategies, stories and wisdom to help you to achieve this too. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to She Leads Business. And today I am delighted to be joined by Abby Prendergast. Abby is a conversion copywriter and launch strategist and her company is called APT Content. So welcome, Abby. Hi, Ina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Me too. I'm really looking forward to diving into a conversation to find out more about you and about your business and also seeing how we can help you move forward with your business as well. But before we get into that, I want to get to know more about you, Abby, the person. So tell me, what's your overriding memory or feeling when you think about your childhood? I remember feeling excited about the future. I was very keen to grow up and have the freedom to do the things I wanted to do. I remember sitting in school and looking out the window and thinking, I don't want to be in here stuck in a classroom. I want to be out there exploring. I think that fits quite naturally into being an entrepreneur. But yeah, does that answer your question, Una? Yes, absolutely. Interesting, the focus on freedom, because that's very much something that really drives and motivates a lot of creative entrepreneurs. Were you part of a large family, a small family? So it was just my mum, dad, my brother, and my dad moved out when I was about 13 or 14. So it's just me, my mum and my brother, a very close family. My brother and I have always gotten super well. When he was very small, I used to teach him maths and English. We'd have a little kids club underneath his bunk bed and I, he would just be obsessed with doing as much math as possible. So I remember spending a lot of days doing that kids club with my young brother, who's called Oliver. What would you say was your most challenging aspect in I had a hard time at school, didn't want to be there. I was bullied in secondary school, so that was quite tough. I remember feeling quite anxious around that time and just, as I said, really being in a rush to to just grow up and move cities, have a fresh start. So you said you were bullied in secondary school. What was primary school like for you? Primary school was fun. I remember in primary school, I was playing a lot of chess. I was playing competitive chess and I used to run the chess club and I'd go and I'd do a lot of competition on the weekends. So that was good fun. But things were quite different at secondary school. I, I went from being super ambitious, like loving public speaking, always being voted on the student forum, all that kind of stuff. And then in around year nine, someone started a rumor and it just, everything went downhill really fast. That sounds pretty challenging. How do you think that affected who you are today it's made me more compassionate as it does being bullied I think compassion is definitely one of my core values and I have built that into my business and I try to be as open-minded as possible when speaking to other people and the whole not judging people before you've walked a mile in their shoes it's definitely something that I feel on a visceral level like from having had those experiences have you experienced 
that kind of or any kind of bullying again since you left school? Not in that sense. I guess sometimes when you've got difficult clients, it can feel <laughs> it's a little bit like billing sometimes. But otherwise, no, that was this experience that was specific to being a teenager. But I think when things happen as a teenager, it can take a while to to move on from that because even if you think you're over it, it does nestle into your adult character as it's developing. So it has only really been the last few years that I have reached a stage where I'm confident and happy with who I am. Which is a lovely feeling, isn't it? It is a lovely feeling. <laughs> yeah, you're certainly not alone. So many guests I've spoken to have had some kinds of experiences like this, whether it's narcissistic bosses or bullying in school. I was bullied in school myself as well. And I think a lot of the time people underestimate the impact that these kinds of experiences can have. Year nine then, was that, how did that fit in when your dad left? Did that bullying start before or after? It all happened at the same time as it does. So everything was going really well. And then my dad left and I managed to lose all my groups of friends at once. I think so. I was very much a social butterfly. I had different friends in different groups. And then just one day out of the blue, that wasn't okay anymore. You have to have one group, otherwise you're fake and people don't, people are uncomfortable with it. I think I've always had a mix of different interests. So I liked watching Made in Chelsea, which is a trashy English show. And I would talk about that with my friends in one group, but then I also really liked music and rock music. And I talked about people in a different group and people just weren't okay with that. So they tore me down. <laughs> And I think also having with my dad left when you're vulnerable and it was an all-girls school, people do tend to leap on that, unfortunately. There's no doubt that boundaries come from within, don't they? And if you're feeling vulnerable, then people who are in that abuse cycle, because bullying is a form of abuse, You'll hear people go, oh, it's just a rite of passage. It's the school kid banter, this, that and the other. And there's that saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I think if you can take that attitude, that's wonderful. But in our formative years, it's just not true. Words actually can be incredibly powerful. And it's interesting for you as a copywriter, you're perhaps a person that words have a deeper connection to as well. Would that be right? Yeah, that's interesting you say that. I've always been a big believer in the power of words. I remember at school seeing a poster and it said on it, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words could make me starve myself to death. And I remember thinking that was so powerful because it's true. What at that age, what words can do, it can have such a huge impact on your yourself. And I've thought the whole, the phrase, the pen is mightier than the sword. I am a believer in that. So yes, I do have a deep connection to words. What is it that helped you to overcome that, to let go of the bullying and how you interpreted that in terms of your identity to coming happier and more confident? I would say music. I had a friend when I was about 15, who actually really reminds me of you. <laughs> she had lovely, amazing hair as well. She was very quirky, but she, she was just brilliant. And she saw me for me and we used to play music together. And we, I'd go around a house and we'd listen to records. We'd go to jam nights and having 
just that new world opened up for me was huge because then I could rebuild myself again and under the love of this person who's just one of those shining lights and through that then I was eventually I made new friends through music I eventually found a whole new friendship group that I really loved and then even though the trauma was there it slowly enter adult life wonderful friendships can just make such a difference to us can't they absolutely and is this person still in your life yeah, she is. I don't see her as much as I'd like to because adult life, we're all living all over the place. But I definitely have a special place in my heart for her and I'm truly grateful. Wonderful. It's interesting, isn't it? How I think part of it is that we often tend to see each other through other people's eyes. And so if we change who the people are around us, to be people like the shining light who will see the real us, then that then can be reflected back onto us and we can take that on board. The most powerful thing of all is to not care what other people think and actually value our own opinions much more than what other people do. And I know for me personally, it took quite a lot of work to get to that place, having been a people pleaser and someone who has very low self-esteem to being the person who's, well, yeah, I know there's lots of people who might think I'm a complete idiot who won't like my style or what I do or my approach or even positivity <laughs> I've had. It's really funny, actually. I had I spoke with somebody recently who was also a very positive person and they said, oh, some of my friends, they joke that I must be a serial killer. And I was like, oh, my God, I've had people say that to me, too. So I used to be in this filmmaking community and there were some people there and they used to say, oh, sure. My husband, Steve, uh, we weren't married at the time, but um, they used to say, oh, sure, you and Steve are actually secret serial killers. Nobody can be that happy and positive. They just didn't trust it which I thought was really sad. It's funny, we could joke about it, yet actually the reality is that the people who say something, say things like that at some level, they don't believe it's possible to be happy and confident. All of these things, they always say so much more about the people saying the things than they do about us. Yeah, I think that's very true. The words people say are more a reflection on them, really, than they are on us. And that is an important lesson to learn, which is just obviously when you're a teenager, it's so hard. Because as you said, the people, you look your sense of self, reflect it back at you through other people's eyes. But yeah, no, I think that's interesting. And I, have, I guess I've experienced that too during times when I have been really positive. So when you left school, what happened? I When I left school, the first thing I did was I started freelancing. I'd already been doing a bit at school. So I think when I was about 16, I Googled how to make money online and I had my mind blown. I was very savvy. I remember I sold my A-level note as an ebook on Pinto because I thought I've done the work. 
I might as well try and get a few quid from it. So I worked for a couple of months and then I went traveling. So I backpacked Europe and then I did it on a massive shoestring budget. So I actually had enough to fly to America where I volunteered in San Francisco, hitchhiked down Highway 1 to LA and San Diego and then spent some time in Canada. So that was an amazing trip. That also, I think, did wonders for my sense of self. And after that, I was just like, you know what, life's good. I've got this. And then I went to uni. <laughs> so, so really that was like a gap year? Yeah, they ended up a gap year. Once I graduated, I did more traveling. And that's really for freelancing for me was all about being location independent. And it wasn't until after a few years of traveling and that I was like, Do you know what, it can be more than that. that. It can be financial freedom. It can be time freedom. And that's what I've been building the last few years. Fantastic. And what did you study? Um, I did philosophy and English. English, unfortunately, just killed my love of reading <laughs> more than anything. I went in loving books and I think just studying it, it, yeah, it just sucked the joy out of it. Philosophy, I absolutely loved and I do it makes me a better copywriter. Tell me more about that. Philosophy, yes, I guess it it's, teaches you different ways of thinking rather than it's not about amassing knowledge. It's more kind of training your mind to be able to shift world's perspectives. So when we read, when you're reading, can for example, um, and you're looking at, at the world through and through the transcendental aesthetic, not to drop philosophy jargon, sorry, but you look at it one way and then you read someone else and suddenly the world has completely changed. And I think as a copywriter, the most powerful thing you can do is to get into other people's head. And adopt their worldview. Philosophy trained me to do that. And obviously I can form a really good argument. <laughs> Love it. Love it. I think that's a very interesting perspective. And I think in all aspects of marketing, we have got to be able to get into our ideal clients' heads for sure. So Absolutely. you had early training at that. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Wonderful. So so you started freelancing really at 16. So that's the youngest that I've heard. But I guess these days, as you said, you Googled how to make money online. And that wasn't around when I was a teenager. It's amazing how the world has changed, how technology has changed the world for us. So the idea of being location independent was never a thing before the internet. So now it is. You're now shifting from being a yeah. freelancer to being a CEO. Is location independence still as important to you? Or is it more the financial freedom? Or what's the real goal? I'd say 100%. Freedom for me is location freedom, financial freedom, time freedom. So as I said, location freedom was the first one I chased after and got. I remember doing articles for about $6. <laughs> so, like I was getting paid pennies, but I was living in Bali and Vietnam, traveling around. So it was fine. And that was enough. And then lockdown happened, so I, I was renting in England again, obviously expensive, and I thought to myself, do you know what, actually, I want a bit of money now. I would like to be able to not worry about rent. Finding like nice things, I think something happens in your mid-twenties where you, you feel a bit like, like homeville. Thing. I wanted to buy myself a nice sofa and all the stuff that I used to think was ridiculous. So then I started wanting financial freedom and I took a course by Coffee Hackers and very quickly I 
was able to scale to 10,000 a month, which was when I was 24, 25. So this was huge. Um, and then I kept, continued that. And then I got really burnt out and I, my anxiety came back. I was having panic attacks. My income dropped and I realized I didn't have that third piece. I had location freedom. I had financial freedom, but I didn't have time freedom. And actually, it's only been in the last two months that I feel like I've had that. So since we last spoke, I landed basically my two dream clients. So things have changed a lot, but I'm so working now with Amy Porterfield, who is one of my absolute favorite entrepreneurs. I think she's fantastic. And I'm working for Coffee Hackers, which is a big deal because they're the people that trained me. So now I'm in a position where I do have I suppose I don't 100% have time freedom. I think it's going to continue to be a work in progress, but I've got the joy and I've got the financial freedom. So I'm happy now. What I want to do is scale all that because it's like working for Amy Porterfield. That's been a dream of mine for a few years. And now I'm okay. What do I do now? I've got my dream clients that I'm making money. What next? Is it just a case of being like, I want to double my profits? To me, that's not very meaningful. So I'm looking to surround myself with people now that can show me what this next level is all about. Because I can't, I don't know. I haven't got there. I can't see it. I haven't been there. It's my goal to now be the next Amy Porterfield. Am I supposed to become like the clients that I've been working for? Is it something else? So I'm excited to see where my business will go next. And I'm very open to ideas on how, what you think it could be, whether it is starting an agency, contracting, hiring more help, or whether it's something completely different. Let's drill down a bit here because your questions have gone way, (laughs) really broad, (laughs) which is great. Okay. Us creative people, we think big picture all the time, but it's very hard to answer a big picture question without breaking it down first. So what is the impact that you want to make on the world, Abby? Well, since you've asked, so I do have a dream of making APD content um, a an agency but with training built in. So when I left school and I started freelancing, one of I was yes, it was because I wanted location independence. I was very excited to travel, but also a part of that was my anxiety. So I really. The idea of actually having to go in every day was really overwhelming to me because I know I sometimes I just need to take six weeks off or I need to adjust my medication and things like that. Freelancing really saved. When I think about where I am now and I think about where it was when I first got diagnosed with anxiety and I thought my life was over, it's amazing to me and I'm so grateful for it. And I love to give that to other people. I'd love to partner with a couple of universities or schools young people with anxiety and actually train them up and employ them within my agency as copywriters when you i just want to go back to something that you said about so there's times when like if the anxiety kicks in you might need to adjust your medication or take six weeks off so currently I'm curious how you're managing that when you're working with clients the likes of Amy Porterfield and copy hackers yeah, it's tough. They basically stripped down to the absolute necessary. So 
as a freelancer CEO, like I only have, I do 20 hours a week client work. I won't book myself up more than that because I need time to generate leads, to create contracts, all that other stuff, guest posting, marketing, etc. So 20 hours a week, I'll see if I can strip that down to less. Because I've been doing this a while, a while in terms of my life, and because I, I've really specialized and niche, I, there is, I can't do it even when I'm really anxious. I wouldn't be able to if I didn't have that. A few years ago, I couldn't. If I'm ill, if I'm panicky, I can't work. But now I think it's embedded enough in me. I know what I'm doing. I'm confident enough that I can manage to do the two hours work I need to and then take the rest of the day off. But obviously it's not ideal. And over summer, I don't know if I said, but I had a, a real mental health crisis. Um, I had to cancel a lot of acts. So I, it really got me thinking, what can I put in place that next time this happens? Because it will. Living with a mental health issue, it happens. And it's fine. You can still be wildly successful. But I need something in place um, so that if it, like when it next happens, I'm not going to lose as much. Because there was quite a drop in income as a result of that. Because I do have kind of money saved away for when it happens. But I want more. I don't just want to fall back on my my emergency funds. I want to have people I can count on to do to help me. So if you were to hire a team of people who also have anxiety and or some mm. other kind of mental health issues, then you're going to have a number of people who potentially might need to drop the ball at times yeah so i would want a mix yeah i need it's high risk i have considered this so i want to build up i've had all ideas of how to do it but i want to i want to build something like whether it's like a blog or a side business or something that it's okay if people drop the ball because one thing that was great for me with freelancing at the start when it was really low pressure and my pay um, was that if I if I did drop the ball, it was okay. It was low impact. I want to create something that it's okay for them to drop the ball. That doesn't mean they're going to get fired because they need a boss that gives them lots of chances. So APT content, like I wouldn't want them. I wouldn't necessarily be relying on people for high pressure projects i would create a whole a mix of different things that's and i would want some people as well that i can just truly count on through thick and thin but yeah it's it's a very much an idea in progress i appreciate there's gonna be it's gonna take a lot of thinking to get it right but i'm it's you asked me what impact i wanted to make and mm. like that is it absolutely i wanted to kind of you to take a step back from this because so it sounds like the impact you want to make is to help people who have anxiety. Yeah. And so one way of doing that is to hire them. To okay. train them and give them a chance. To train them. So it would be, so as an example, the university I was at, they had an internship program where they collaborate with companies and the university would pay the intern to, to do their volunteer work with the company. So... I'd love to do something like that because then I'm not having to pay. And that sounds awful. I'm not having to pay them, but, but it's less risk. It's like mm. when they're young people. And then I can train and give them opportunities and they can get something really great on their CV. So it gives them 
the confidence, show them what's possible. As you said, it's the digital world is constantly changing. Maybe they already know that being a digital entrepreneur is an option. I know I didn't. I know you didn't. But if someone had told me when I was young and anxious and that I never needed to get a job, I never like a, a, a regular job that I could do this, that would have been a massive release. So I want to mm. give that to, to someone else. Okay. Yep. So it sounds to me like what you want is a business model that's financially viable, but that also offers opportunities and the knowledge that it's that freedom, isn't it? That they don't have to be, they don't have to be tied to a boss. They can make their own way in the world. But the world of freelancing, I've been working with freelancers and creative business owners for a good number of years now. And it's more and more challenging because they're faced with people in the developing world who have very low costs of living. Anyone who has a smartphone, <laughs> they typically feel they can be a photographer, they can edit videos, they can write and post stuff on social media and things. So the, the perceived value of a lot of creative services has dropped. And so there's, it's not just about the skills that they need to actually do the freelance work. They need to be able to get the freelance work at an appropriate amount of money, don't they? Yeah, I would say copywriting is different from the jobs you described, just in the sense that you can change a headline and unlock 200 grand for your client. Like, it's copywriting has such a direct impact on ROI. So I, I don't think it's hard to convince clients the value of a copywriter because it just is lucrative. That's why copywriters charge what they do. Um, for me at the start, I was very focused on getting clients. And then actually when I focused on being the best and I have an imposter syndrome is a thing. I'm not arguing that, but. Sometimes I think when people have imposter syndrome, I mean, for me, it was actually, maybe it's because I'm not as good as, maybe I do just need to level up. And I did, I poured hours and hours into mastering the craft. I did the hard work. And to me, now I'm comfortable commanding the rates I do. And finding work isn't a problem. I get the referrals. And I, that is the experience for a lot of copywriters that are good at what they do. So, yeah, I would say... Yeah, getting the clients is one thing, but also, and I, it is particularly for the copywriting world, yeah, just show your clients so you can make some money because that's what they care about. Yes, absolutely. And I think a lot of the time, there definitely is an aspect of when I'm working with those clients, it is about helping them to to show their clients, their potential clients, how they can help them. This is the case with all kinds of businesses, but yes, with creative services, it often is about helping them to attract and convert more of clients for their customers as well. I think one of the things that you touched on there, you can change your headline and double, triple, 10 times the results that a client is getting. There's a lot of people who learn how to create content, but they don't know how to actually drive sales. Like I've talked to a lot of copywriters 
because I sometimes might need that help. My clients are looking for recommendations. I would say only one in 10, if that, of the copywriters I speak to, they actually know how to drive sales through copy. So if you're training these young people in how to do that, then that is super valuable. So I think saying that, what I'm getting to with this is that you training people in how to do this, because it's so valuable, there has to be a financial model that will work for you to be able to do that. Yeah, I completely agree. Just to touch on what you're saying about sales copywriting, I, I think I when I started out, I studied direct response copywriting. I read the sales letter, the Dan Kennedy, Russell Brunson, all that, the usual suspects. Now, I what I think is interesting is that type of copy is dying. It's not working like it used to. People following those templates, their conversion rates are dropping. The webinars aren't bringing in the sales that they used. People have wised up and they don't like being sold to. If you write sales and it's salesy, won't convert as well because the whole idea, the whole internet has moved towards conversation. It's that's the whole idea of social media is to create this meaningful conversations with each other. People don't like to be sold to. They can smell a pitch and why not? So what I do when the conversion copywriting is basically rooted in understanding people and it's research. I got into copywriting initially because I like to write and I still, I love to write. But 90% of what I do is actually research. So it's about interviewing customers, knowing what to say, but also knowing how to listen, knowing when to be silent, knowing how to dig, dig deeper and find out the problems that are really on people's minds. Doing surveys, being able to go through Facebook groups and find voice of customers, sticky messages, using all that to actually craft copy. And copy that will convert and that's what I want to teach I want to teach this research-based empathy focused copywriting because it feels good it feels good to write copy like that write copy that isn't just pitchy snailsy salesy it's because when you write copy like that you get to really understand what someone's going through and provide a way out for them provide an opportunity you make the conversion natural. It's not pushed. You're empowering them to take action to say, do you know what? This course costs 5,000 pounds. It's a lot, but I believe that if I complete it, if I implement, I will get the results and I deserve that. And sometimes it takes a copywriter to convince them of that. And I want to give that gift to people because I know I would have been so excited if someone had told me that 10 years ago. And I know that there are lots of young people girls like me now that need to hear that and don't know copywriting exists and that kind of copywriting would just light them up and as you say yes it's profitable because that kind of copy is making money for people so it can make my business money and can make them money yeah <laughs> sorry I think I I rambled on a bit there I'm quite passionate <laughs> about copy if you can't tell never apologize for passion it's wonderful <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. Something really struck me there when you said lots of young girls don't know copywriting exists. So my background is in marketing. And then when I set up uh, originally as a life coach, I like the names you're mentioning. I know all those names. I subscribed to newsletters. I did a lot. 
and um, but it, it was definitely very male focused. And I'm sure you've heard the term bro marketing. And actively positioning myself against it. Exactly. And that's that bro marketing is it's that pushy, not natural attempt at conversion. And as you say, in general, the audiences that people are marketing to these days, they are way more sophisticated than they ever have been. So yeah. As you say, they can smell a pitch in my law. They get turned off by that. They are much more concerned with values and meaning and aligning themselves with brands that they resonate with. Do you feel that copywriting is still quite a male-dominated industry? It might be, but I'm lucky because... I have surrounded myself with amazing copywriters and 90% of them are women. I was mentioned by Joanna Weave and the copywriters I engage with in a cartoon like Tarzan K and Brittany McBean, they're all also women. So even if it is male dominated, I don't feel it. And I think, I guess that's the beautiful thing about the internet is you can find your community and you can be in that echo chamber. I know that's... (laughs) I know that's usually used as a criticism to be in an echo chamber, but actually sometimes it's refreshing because by being in that, by being in that community, you can thrive. And these women are getting amazing results. They're making millions of dollars just for their male clients. So, yeah. (laughs) Love it. And what you said about creating an echo chamber I know that I've done that. I hear people moaning about their feeds on social media. And I'm just like, just turn off the people who you don't want to be hearing from. Turn off the ads you don't want to see. If I go on Facebook, pretty much half of what I see is personal development and the other half is sewing, which is my hobby. (laughs) And That's all I'm interested in. We have so much more control over our environment than I think people know. So I love that you have done that. Congratulations. Because I do think that marketing in general and copywriting is it is quite male dominated. But as you say, you can create your own corner of the Internet, of the universe and surround yourself with people who you can learn from, aspire to be like, work with, etc. And create the world that you want to have, create the environment that you want to be a part of. I think it's up to us to till our own soil, to to plant the seeds that we want to be growing. And part of that is definitely the people we surround ourselves with, because this is going back to what we said earlier about what people reflect to us about ourselves. But then it's also about who we're learning from. In the conversations about philosophy, you were talking about being able to switch worldviews. Some of the things that really influence who we're being in the world and therefore our experience of it are our own identity and our worldview. So if we live in a world, when I say live, I'm talking about in our heads, (laughs) but we live in a world where people can't be trusted or where people are negative, where people moan where, oh, nothing ever changes, life's always the same, life's hard, then, you know, that's going to be perpetuated. 
So I think people talk about fixed mindset and growth mindset. I think there's a lot more than those two things. I think within that growth mindset where we are curious, where we're open, where the possibility of change exists. For us to be able to move forward and to allow for our worldviews to change as we grow, as our businesses grow. And I say time and time again, if you want to have a bigger business, then, you know, how you view yourself and the world, there has to be a transformation take place. So there's been a transformation for you as that 16 year old, those first few years of your freelancing where you just did anything to make money and it was a few dollars and it didn't matter and that was all you needed to now you're like, no, I'm a serious business owner and you can be a serious business owner and have lots of fun. In fact, I think the more seriously you take your business, the more fun you can have if you do it in the right way. Yeah. So I don't want you to think when I say serious, that you have to be serious and not have any fun. No, not at all. The best most successful business owners are the ones who do have what you talked about in terms of financial freedom time freedom and location freedom if that's important to you but the first two i think ought to be important to every business owner and the discussion only gets better in part two of this interview where myself and Abby get into what impact might her going public for the first time about her anxiety have on her business. We talk about the connection between mindset and flow and about how Abby can make a bigger impact in her business. Join us in the next episode. That's all for today, folks. Have you subscribed to get more of this juicy goodness for your business? If not, tap that button now. Remember to check the description for links mentioned in this episode. Did you enjoy and find value in this free broadcast? I want you to know that I go so much deeper into the topics discussed with coaching and workshops based on my impact-driven growth model. Want to know how I can help you to double your profits without spending a penny more on marketing or ads? Let's arrange to hop on a call to discuss your goals and challenges and I'll show you how. Plus, when you book, I'll send you some free training videos too. Go book now at creativeflow.tv forward slash call with Una. That's creativeflow.tv forward slash call with Una.